Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey guys, it's Scott Lips, and welcome back to yet another edition of Lip Service. How is everyone holding up? I'm okay. Uh, it's scary out there, and I have anxiety. I think a lot of people have anxiety now when I think about everything going on in the world. It's almost like you really shouldn't be watching the news because it's really hard when you watch the news and to know what to do and just really what's going on out there. It's scary, scary times. What's new with everyone? What's shaking? I do, uh, fortunately, I have a birthday this week, so I'm excited about that, but the concept and the idea of having a Zoom birthday is really kind of anticlimactic to me. So hopefully I'll get to see a few friends for dinner. Uh, if you like the show as a birthday present to me, you can in fact go to iTunes or even iHeartRadio app where the show is now available or any of your other favorite streaming platforms. Do me a favor, rate and review the show. Five stars would be a great birthday present for me. Tell a few friends or tell more than a few friends about the show. Kindly subscribe because you know the show is free and that's how we really get the show out there. On today's show, what can I say about this absolute musical legend from Scotland, Mr. Alan McGee? Alan is best known for being one of the premier figures of the British music scene of the 90s. He had a huge part in the success of massive bands like Oasis, still one of my favorite bands of all time. And he worked with bands like uh, Primal Scream, My Bloody Valentine, The Jesus and the Mary Chain, The Libertines, The Hives. He started Creation Records and he is very integral to the music scene in the 90s in London and, and a huge part of how the movement started there. So he was awarded the NME Godlike Genius Award in February 1996, and Creation Records was one of the independent labels of the year, 95 to 98. So check it out. Very excited to have the label head, manager, and even dabbling in DJing and now speaking engagements, Mr. Alan McGee, coming up in just a moment. Stay tuned. You're listening to Scott Lips on Lip Service. You're listening to Lips LA with Scott Lips. Our show today is brought to you by the fine folks at Thursday's Boot Company. You guys have seen me rocking these boots in every other picture I have on Instagram. I'm always repping them. Thursday's Boots is a bootstrap startup that makes the best handcrafted boots and sells them direct to consumer at some of the lowest markups in the footwear industry. Thursday's Boots tagline is highest quality, honest prices because they use some of the best materials like full grain leather, supple glove leather lining, and gold standard Goodyear welt construction. Thursday's Boot Company sells their boots at prices starting at just $149 with free shipping and returns. They've been featured in all the best fashion press, from Esquire to GQ to Cosmo and Vogue. And more, more importantly, they've gotten over 20,000 five-star reviews from real customers. Thursday's boots are perfect for people who understand quality and don't want to pay a high retail markup for a great-looking pair of boots that are built to last. So check them out at Thursday's Boots on Instagram. My favorite shoes, my favorite boots. You always see me repping them. You'll love it. Who doesn't love a classic chocolate chip cookie? Famous Amos has been making them since the 70s, 1975 to be exact. With semi-sweet chocolate chips and a satisfying crunch, it's everything classic in one bite-sized cookie. And fans couldn't get enough. That's right. You'll find our original recipe, the one you know and love, 
in every bag of Famous Amos original chocolate chip cookies. Find Famous Amos anywhere you buy your favorite snacks. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. You're listening to Lips LA with Scott Lips. Hello, hello. Hey, how you doing? Sorry. You know what? I was just watching a documentary there about Rupert Murdoch, and I looked at my phone, and then, because you were on lockdown vibe now, and then, oh, I've got to do that interview with Scott Lips. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Welcome to the show. My guest today is no other than the legendary Mr. Alan McGee, the man who started Creation Records, Oasis, The Libertines, Promise Scream, and so much more. How are you, my mate? I'm good, man. I'm good. I don't think we've ever spoken, but we've got mutual friends, and we've got a, a very large mutual friend which is Courtney you know? yeah yeah well I, I actually play I don't know if you know Alan but I actually play in her band yeah, um, yeah yeah we haven't played in quite some time we played a show uh last year at Yola Dia but other than that not for a while but yeah she's one of the closest people in my life I know you guys are very close yeah yeah I love her yeah she's the best she's where did you guys meet out of curiosity I met her with Kurt she doesn't even remember the first time I met her I met Courtney 1992 at Hollywood girls' school, the teenage fan club in Red Cross. Fan club were breaking. Do you remember that? They, yeah, they, she loves teenage fan club. I remember she always talks about them. We sold about a quarter of a million, Scott, in America. It, it was, there was a mess up. There was a mess up, being, and then I'll go back to how I met Courtney, because the A&R guy that signed Nirvana, a guy called Gary Gush, had signed teenage fan club to decided to take this song called The Concept off MTV uh, because he said it was the wrong song and told me. And then it was his, his record in America. And then he never got the next single back on. But if he just left that on, I think they would sell a million records. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's funny how certain bands really translate to the US and certain bands don't. But I do remember they had a couple of hits here. And for some reason, I actually feel like we might have covered a teenage fan club song at some point with Courtney. I got to go back and remember what song it was, but I feel like there's a song that we either attempted to cover or did cover at some point. Um, yeah. But yeah, but I, so how did you guys initially connect? Well, she, as, as I was saying, at Hollywood, I, took, I think it's called Hollywood High, and it was a it was fan club were playing to about a thousand school kids, mainly girls, I think. And uh, we were in the bus, and she got on with Kurt, Kurt was pretty wasted. Uh, it was around that time, you know. But Courtney, I never really talked to her that time. I mean, I mean, it was like, yeah, hello, shake her hand and all that nonsense. But it was like, I never really got to, I mean, talked to Kurt a little bit. And that was the first time. Then I met her in Spain in a hotel. And that kind of like was a, and then, then Nirvana were playing that night. Uh, and, I think it was Madrid, or maybe it was Milan. No, I think it was Madrid. I think it was Spain, and uh, and I went to the gig, and then she was in the dressing room and talked to, her. and then never saw her for years after it, Scott. And then about two thousand, she phoned me up, and 
I had a club called Death Disco that was really doing well. And, and, uh, and she went, hey, blah, blah, blah. You know, where are you? And I went, oh, thinking she'll never know, but I'll just tell her. I went, I'm in this uh, Bill and Bill's record shop. It was a, a huge thing in London around that time. Second hand records, and he had everything right. I went the, off just off Portobello Road, Portobello Road, and we're Bill and Bill. And she went, I know them, I'll be right round 10 minutes later. Courtney <laughs> Love <Lombard. laughs> and then and then we, we, we hung for about the next day, you know, like right through the night. She was in my kitchen playing music, and then and then really, we I saw a lot of her for about five, ten years after that. And then I haven't seen that much here this decade, you know, in the last maybe 10 years, but then, you know, but then, you know, we've started reconnecting over here, you know? Yeah. You know, she's a massive Oasis fan, which I'm sure you know, Alan. So yeah. it's, uh, you know, that's definitely one of our, our bonding moments. It's, it's funny. We actually bond on so many bands and like from Cheap Trick to Oasis to other oh, yeah. acts. And, and that was yeah. one of the things that brought us together, sort of our love for that, that sort of punk pop sensibility years ago. But, uh, but anyway, take me back to the beginning here. I, I want to talk about your life, your incredible career. I mean, where are you in London today? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm in the flat. I, I just like, I've got, I mean, I've, I've got a little flat in London and I just, I mean, I've got, you know, um, I've got a big place in Wales, but I'm always in London, man. You know what I mean? Yeah. And how has it been over there? Is it, is it back to normal? Is it semi-normal? Are you still in quarantine? What's life like for you right now over there? Definitely not normal, but it is busier. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I was in the town today and it was pretty busy, so God knows. But I mean, rock and roll, we're so far away from getting shows, Scott, you know what I mean? Yeah, they're talking 2022, right? Is that what you feel that's going to... I think so as well, but I mean, yeah. I don't know how to tell the people in my bands that. <laughs> right. You know I mean? They'll jump out the window. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they, they, all, they all think it's like, you know, they all think that, you know, we're going to be back at the, back at the end of the year, but I don't think we're anywhere near that, you know? What's America like with shows? Is it, is it happening? Uh, it's bad. I mean, listen, you know, we're, as you were saying, Alan, I mean, I feel like, look, they're in like clinical trials now of phase three here, 30,000 people. And even so, if it gets to that point where there's a vaccine out in, in January, February, March, April, whatever it may be, I still don't think shows are going to be the first place that people are running to. They're obviously people are going to still going to, there was a, a band that I work loosely with called the Chainsmokers. And uh, they just performed a con there was a concert out here in the Hamptons. Actually, I'm in LA which is bad at the moment, as you probably know. But um, they played in the Hamptons and, and, you know, there was like 2,000 people. I think they charged $2,500 a car. Everything was social distanced. Each car had their own sort of, you know, patch of grass that they couldn't go beyond. And, and now Cuomo, the governor, is actually looking to crack down on the whole event. And there might be like criminal repercussions because people weren't really respecting you know, the boundaries and the social distancing. There was people right up at the front, like a regular concert. And obviously when people are holed up for five, six months, people are not going to be using their heads sometimes when it comes to these things. But to think that like this band actually went ahead with something which they thought was safe. And now there's possibly criminal, you know, implications. I mean, I don't think anybody wants to go through that. So I, I agree with you. I think it's probably 2022 and, and California is terrible at the moment. No one's, you know, Unfortunately, people aren't smart and wearing masks like they should be. I mean, I know you get, I know you get Donald Trump, but why is it so much worse than where we are? Because it's not as if our government are that good. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I think I, honestly, what it is, Alan, I, there's no uniformity here. It's like everyone, each governor, you know, each city, each state, sort of does what they want. There's no leadership in the sense that there's not 
nobody, you know, there should have been a mandate early on. Everyone had to wear a mask. So there should have been a universal right. lockdown. Every state was doing different lockdowns. Every county is sort of following their own rules. And in the end, people are traveling from state to state, bringing it back and forth. And, and because, you know, a lot of these young kids are asymptomatic, they don't even realize that they have it and they're spreading it all around. I have friends of mine that I know that, you know, are probably in their 20s. They're like, well, I had it a few days ago and now they're out and about. I'm like, it doesn't work like that. <laughs> like if you don't quarantine yourself for 14 days, you're going to be spreading it around to everyone. And, and more that, you know, the older people, that's really the worry, right? So it's terrible. But, but anyway, I, I, we're digressing with the COVID talk that could go on forever, but your career has been incredible. Uh, I've been a big fan of yours and, and everything Oasis and, and uh, Brit Rock for many, many years. So it's an honor to have you on the show. I kind of want to take it back to the start for the people that don't know. As I mentioned, Alan is really responsible for a lot of the British rock movement of the 90s. Uh, huge fan of everything you've done, Alan, Creation Records and you know, the bands you manage and whatnot. So I'd love to kind of take it to, the, you know, back to the start. Like, what did your parents do? Were they working class? I knew you grew up in Glasgow. And I'd love to know, I know you were in bands early on, but I'd love to know your history from the start. Yeah, but I mean, I was born, I'm nearly 60, and, um, which is crazy. I, I'm 60 in two months. And uh, wow. I was brought up and, you know, I mean, it's, it was... It's, I might it's, have you move a little bit closer to the mic because it's a little bit hard to hear. Sorry. I grew up in Glasgow. Um, um, I got, it was a kind of rough area, but it wasn't super rough back in the 60s. I was brought up in Govan Hill, and they, I ended up when we were about five or six coming up to Mount Florida. It was a little bit better. And uh, when I was going to school, I met most of the people at that school that ended up in primal screen. And then I got, I got sent up to, to secondary school at 10 and 11. Um, and I just started to get into the music thing. I'll go back to that in a minute. And uh, Bobby Gillespie for Primal Scream, who's like my best pal, he came in for Springburn. Um, and uh, we, we kind of were like kind of pals at school, not super close at school. Uh, then I got to, I started taking him to concerts because he asked me. So in 74 or 75, I would be 14 and he would be 13. And he asked me to go and see Thin Lizzy. So I took him to see Thin Lizzy and we kind of were pretty bonded over that. And then I was up in the town in Glasgow uh, one afternoon, a Saturday afternoon, but 76, end of 76, and John Lydon, Johnny Rotten, was dressed in a blue uh, bondage suit, having an epileptic fit, singing Anarchy in the UK. And I, I, I was, my mind was, as you would be at 15, my mind was utterly blown, Scott. So I went and got the boss back to collect Gillespie and brought him up and you've got to see this video. And we were, literally, it was me and Bobby, um, Jim Kerr and Charlie Butcher for Simple Minds, um, Jake Black for Alabama 3 and a guy called Ian Donaldson, uh, who was in this band H2O that got big in Glasgow at one point. And, uh, and that was the kind of first punk rockers in Glasgow. That was 76, I was 15. Bob were the was, pistols breaking back then or were they just starting yeah. out? Just, it was just, they just put anarchy out and then I saw that and then I was full on into the punk thing and I was 15 and then 77 was their year really wasn't it we, yeah. they, they had pretty vacant God Save the Queen and uh, um, and they hold us in the sun all three then they broke up at the end of 77 but I was just I was obsessed by punk you know and got a guitar got a bass guitar at 16 and me and Bobby and Andrew joined, well, we formed a band, never done a show, Scott. Um, 
<laughs> but, but you know, we, we used to do shows and, and, and Andrew's, who's now, it's Andrew and Bobby are in Primal Scream, but uh, in Andrew's uh, bedroom and we would do the gigs. And we were just obsessed with the music, you know? We were in lots of different bands and then it got to about um, 1980, I was 19, and Andrew, who was 17, so we were young kids, said, let's go and make it in London, blah, 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 as, as, as in music, pop stars or whatever it's going to be. And we came to London and I think we would have ultimately failed if this one thing hadn't happened to me, Scott. And it was about 10 days, I was homeless in London uh, and it, all I had was a guitar, uh, a bass guitar, and I was like, I was like sleeping in the top of a, a chemist's shop in Covent Garden. So I was like, I was basically destined to go home. And I ran into this pub at some point and uh, I was having a drink and this really good looking girl with pink hair was there and I started chatting her up. And she, she was saying, look, I'm not into that, but, but, uh, but you're a good guy, come back and stay at the squat. And that was how I got my foothold in London. I, I wasn't sent home, Scott. Uh, you know, this girl being lovely, let me and Andrew stop being homeless, stay in the squat which everybody did in the 70s, you know, the Clash all did. Yeah. And because we got a foothold in it, you know, we didn't go back and, and you know, literally it worked out, you know. It's incredible. It's incredible to hear your story that you were homeless and then actually building creation <laughs> records to whatever it may be. I think Oasis at a certain point was selling, what, about a quarter of a million records a week, which yeah. is incredible. So, wow. did, but you were playing in bands and, you, and I heard the story where you were actually doing a lot of the DIY stuff yourself. You were like producing, you know, your own bands. And you were like printing, the, you and Bobby were sort of doing the artwork. I think Bobby Moore was doing the artwork yeah. for a lot of stuff. And that's kind of where you, you cut your teeth on, right? In terms of the record business, was it not? Yeah. No, but it was, it was a, it, I mean, creation when it started, Scott, was, it was like me, Joe Foster, the producer, Dick, who was the Biff Bang Pow guitar player in my little band, who was supposedly the, the, the money guy, I mean, and we'd make it up as we went along, and Bobby was kind of for the sleeves and the art. And that was probably the four people that was central to the story in the beginning, you know? Yeah. And was the idea sort of to merge all the stuff that you loved at that point? It was like punk, obviously, and psychedelia and all those things together? It, it, was, it was an idea, but, but I, I, we, we, we more than pulled it off. But all it was was a kind of like a theory of like, we love the seeds, we love the creation, we love the action. You know, we love Jimi Hendrix, but we also love Johnny Rotten and Joe Strummer and the Buzzcocks. And, do you know what I mean? And we were just putting that together. Do you know what yeah. I mean? We, we had this idea that it could be psychedelic punk, which ultimately Oasis kind of were, weren't they? Yeah, yeah. Well, and Primal Scream, I think they had a lot of those same kind of elements yeah. for sure. And, and walk me through that legendary night that you're, because it's a great story about how you actually, and I know you've told this so many times, but how you actually found Oasis. And, and because there's such a great story behind that, you know, everything in life is timing and how it worked out. And, and obviously it was such an unprecedented time too. So I'd love to hear that story for those of us in America that don't know that story. I was in, I was in, I had been having, I saw a kind of like awful and kind of like, no, I was wrong to call it a love affair, but I was obsessed with a girl, right? Debbie Turner. And, uh, and it was always on and off. We wouldn't talk to each other. We would talk to each other. So, you know, they, they, <laughs> there's a lot to be said for, like, just men loving women, right? So yeah. I, she was doing a show at King Tut's, and two, the other two bands were signed to a sub-label of mine, uh, and they were 18-wheeler, and 
uh, boyfriend. I didn't know Oasis were coming. So I bowl on up. I went up to see the girl. It was, it was playing her first ever gig. And I thought, I'll just freak her out by, by showing up, right? Because she was based in Manchester. I was based in London and the gig was in Glasgow. So it was unlikely that I was going to be there. But anyway, I show up and quite soon into it, within the first two or three minutes, it becomes apparent that it's Glasgow city of culture um, and uh, for the year, and all the pubs in Glasgow are open, so everybody's pissed up, right? And there was a big delay, and then, so when I walked in, everything was like, it was as if it was five o'clock at night, it was actually eight o'clock at night, do you know what I mean? (laughs) It was really, really like, because that was the speed of the night. And uh, this band had come up with Debbie, blagged it and wanted to play. And I had a look at them and there was like, you know, they were like scallies. I don't know if there's a word for scallies in America, but council I don't, estate. I don't think there is, but I love that word. Right. <laughs> council estate kids, all dressed in tracksuits and, you know, just just lads, you know what I mean? Yeah. You know, and, and uh, there was a really good looking one. And I thought, he can't be in the band. He'll be the drug dealer, right? Because right. the drug dealers were always better looking in the band in the early 90s. I was like, you'd meet the band and he was bald. And you meet the drug dealer and he looks like Elvis, do you know what I mean? <laughs> so I was like, thinking, he'll be the drug dealer, right? And, uh, and then the guy standing next to him was a bit bald, who was bonehead. And I thought, you'll be the singer. So anyway, they blagged their way on by kind of intimidating the one security guard. And there's about 10 or 11 of them. So they basically have it with security, and the security said to me, are you cool cutting some of the bands down a little bit, their sets, and, and just doing this show, like letting these guys go and it's for a quiet life? And I was like, I was like, me being me, I went, yeah, of course, it'll be cool, right, on you go. An hour and a half later, I've, I've had two or three drinks, I was probably, I'd been drinking all day, Scott, I'm probably pretty pissed, right? <laughs> and, uh, and somebody goes, oh, that band are going on. And, I would never usually be there to see fourth on the bill open up. But because the whole night was like that, I will, I will go on up the stairs and they go on and they do rock and roll star, up in the sky, bring it on down. And at that point, I'm like, I'm going to sign them. Yeah, who the I fuck knew, are these guys, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, I'm, like, I'm like, this is amazing. They're great, you know. Like, and uh, and then, then Liam goes, uh, oh, you know, like, this is a Beatles song. And I was thinking, oh, he's going to fuck this up. This is going to be rubbish, right? Because everybody used to cover the Beatles back then, and it was rotten versions. And I was like, it's going to be rubbish. And uh, and then, of course, they go on and they nail I am the walrus. And then I go on up to this, the sound guy, this guy called Mark Coyle, who I'd worked with on the Teenage Fan Club, who we were talking about earlier. And, uh, and I said, who's the manager? There is no manager, right? Okay. Who's the leader? No. Go and get no. And this little guy comes down the stairs and comes up with a tape and, and to give me a tape. And I went, do you want a record deal? And he went, who with? Didn't recognise me. And, and I wasn't even that well known at that point yeah, yeah. in music, you know what I mean? And, and, and I said, creation, but he knew about creation because of the screen. Right. And, uh, and, and he was like, all right. And we, we chatted about pistols, acid house, punk, Nirvana. Do you know what I mean? Just the whole yeah. thing, you know, into and uh, we shook on it and went, come down to London and see me and we'll, we'll properly get on with this. And he came down uh, on the Thursday. I sent him some train tickets and Liam, Bonehead and Noel came down. 
and we just talked about, about music. We didn't really talk too much about the deal. Did you eventually tell Liam that you thought he was a drug dealer? Oh yeah, I've told him that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He's but, uh, and then I, I uh, you know, we shook on it on the Thursday, and that was it. I mean, still took me five months to sign them from that day because by that point they then got a proper manager in, and like we were signed to a few people in America. That it was so it was it was a bit of a mess, but we eventually managed to get it together. You know. And as a label, who had you sign at that point before Oasis? Because I know you had, you know, there were obviously so many other bands on the label. It's been some good success. I mean, in, in Britain, uh, we'd, never, we'd never had big records in America. We had a cult records. We'd had Primal Scream, Screamadelica. We'd had My Bloody Valentine, Loveless. We'd had uh, House of Love. Uh, we'd had Teenage Fan Club. We'd, uh, we'd had uh, Ride. We'd had St. Etienne. We'd had Sugar. Um, what else we had? Oh, the Jesus and Mary show. Yeah. So, so, so that alone, I'm sure Noel was a, a big fan of oh, so many yeah, of his yeah. artists. That's the primal scream. That's why I think we yeah. did get he, he knew that I just sold a couple of million scream records, so he knew that I could probably, you know, like, do you know what I mean? It, it, they were making it up as much as we were. You know, we yeah, were yeah. running our label that had kind of that had done quite well, and they were like, they were, they were kids trying to make it you know what i mean what was, what was that first offer like alan when they, that they actually got i mean that you can take, walk me through like what that was like oh, what's the offer yeah to oasis for the first record deal i mean oh, what kind of money was it Scott, and i signed it for nothing man i signed it for forty thousand pounds wow incredible so 65 million records <laughs> it's pr probably 100 million at this point right i don't know what it is now <laughs> wow but, but we, we scott we didn't see that coming. Nobody did. I mean, people yeah. say you must have known. We didn't. I just knew they were a good band. And I put the record out. But look at all the bands I'd had previous. Do you know what I mean? Like what? Primal Scream, Scream of Delica, My Bloody Valentine, House of Love. They're all brilliant bands, man. You know? Totally, yeah. Is there any band from that part of the, you know, obviously that time period, there was so many great artists coming out, and you were so integral to that time period with music. Is it, is it like Scream of Delia is your favorite record from that time period? Like, which, which is the record that really, for you, is like the one you go back and listen to, and you're like, wow, this is such an, obviously the, the debut Oasis record, right? Yeah, the one I'm really proud of is Primal Scream, because I grew up with these guys, because they all went to my primary school with me, and you know, they were all a couple of years younger than me, but we all grew up with each other in the same working class part of Glasgow. So you kind of, do you know what I mean? You, you, you're all down with each other, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, and I know you dealt with your own demons at some point with drugs and I, I guess alcohol and stuff like that. I mean, how did you deal with, you know, the Gallagher brothers and that whole madness with, with the drug use? How, how do you deal with a band like that when they're, when they're so at odds all the time? Well, look, Liam was 19, so he was a baby when we first met him. Do you know what I mean? To be honest, the first year, I was more crazy than them. And then I got put in rehab. And then I was more sane than them. <laughs> right. but that's what happened. So, I mean, I had some great nights with them in the beginning. But I was out of control. And then I ended up in rehab summer of 94. And then I came out at the end of 94. And then I was a, I was now, you know, I'm sober now. And it's like, I just got under it, you know? Yeah, but I mean, even even... I was going to say, even working with them and like the Libertines, Pete Doherty, I mean, it, it had to be such a wild ride, right? I mean, there has to be other stories that I'm sure, I mean, what were the Libertines like to work with? It must have been like a, another crazy ride. Absolutely insane. And that, that was, yeah, they were nuts. You know what I mean? You know, I mean, I, I probably, 
arguably bit off more than I can chew with the Libertines. Do you know what I mean? But I managed yeah. to survive it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I managed to, when I picked him up, the manager had just resigned on them. And uh, Rock Trade phoned me up and said, you're the only person that can handle this band. <laughs> and eventually they provoked me into saying, okay, I'll manage them. And uh, I, tell, I, t- I tell you what the, the first week at work was like with the Libertines, Scott, which sums it up, right? So they were phoning me in America. And I was in America making records and uh, they were trying to get me to come back and, and let, meet this band of Libertines. And I didn't really want to do it, but when I got back, I got put in this meeting in this hotel with Doherty and, and Carol Barat. And I was like, they're so charming, these two guys, that even though I went in to, 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 to go, I don't want to do it, I came out managing the band, right? So I said, like, be round at the office at 10 o'clock on Monday. We'll drive down to my house in Wales, right? So we drive down to my house in Wales, and, and it, it, like, my family lived there now in Wales and everything. But, um, but you know, at that point, nobody lived there. So I, I threw the, the bottom of the whole house. It's a big house. You know, and they had they set up and they were going to write and everything. And for a couple of days, that's what they were doing. And then it got to the Wednesday night, and I went to bed about ten o'clock at night. And they were playing Oasis. They were playing "Don't Be Back in Anger." And I thought, oh, that's very, very sweet, whatever. Right? <laughs> I wake up the next day and I go down to phone my office. It's I hear some footsteps coming down, and at a peripheral vision, Scott, I turn round. And it's Carol Barat, and I think he must have put a mask on because <laughs> he's covered in blood. Oh and my God. hanging out on, on the optical nerve, twitching. And oh I think for about two or three seconds, I looked at Scott and I went, and then I realized it's really his eye. He, <laughs> what have you done? And what I didn't know was, was Carol, at that point, was a bit of a self harmer, right? Yeah, yeah. So he's basically headbutted the sink when he's pissed. Oh my about gosh. 10 or 12 times, and his eyes hanging out his head. So I get a baby wipe, Scott. This is the only, I've only been answering three days at this I mean, point. If that wasn't, a, if that wasn't a, the, something to tell you to get out at that point, I don't know what it is. <laughs> so, so I put the eye back in his head, right? And I'm walking about with a baby wipe and, and the eye in his head, and I'm thinking, what have I got myself into? And the farmer at the bottom of the hill comes up and he goes, take me to your hospital takes me to one hospital, but they, they, and they say to me, it's too serious, he's going to lose his eye. Go to Hereford, which is at the really big hospital down there, right, and the borders of Wales. And we go on in, and Carol is still pissed, right? So we walk in, we eventually get to see the, the, the big doctors, right, the, the surgeons, whatever they call it, and we go on in, and they look at me and him, and they say to me, what have you done to your boyfriend? <laughs> <laughs> It's this old guy bald and this beautiful young rock star. And it just looks like, it just looks, it just looks like, just looks like he looks like a red boy and I look like a, an old creditor. So anyway, I'm like, no, I'm, I'm his manager. And eventually they believe us because they thought that I'd battered him and then was bringing him in to save his eye. Right, maybe and you like beat him up or something. Yeah, right? thought I'd done him. And then, so, so he, uh, he had a six-hour operation. Right, and 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 they're like, you couldn't bring him out the coma, get him out the coma, and then um, and then we we take him to a London doctor about the next week, and the, the London doctor get on this, say to me, oh, he's been sewed in the wrong way, you'll have to take it out and put it back in. Go oh on. my god! So and that, and that was 
that was the first week of managing the level teams. Man. And by the way, that wasn't including yeah. Pete Doherty. Yeah, yeah, that wasn't <laughs> even Pete. That wasn't even Doherty. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So at, at a certain point after that week, Alan, were you like, maybe I need to reassess me <laughs> managing this band? I didn't manage it for that long, three years or something. Do you know what I mean? It was just, uh, we made them big because the manager, Scott, um, they'd stalled about 35. The manager had ran away because they were too intense, I think. And uh, she, she'd resigned. And then I picked them up. And what I'd done, how I made that band big was that I knew, I don't know how aware you are of that band, but it was pretty, all... Pretty aware, yeah. Yeah, well, well, there was a thing called libertines.org. 15, 16 years, well, longer than that, 17 years ago, right? So I knew there was a fanatical fan base for that band, right? So what I'd done was I, I put three 2,000 capacity forums on sale, and I thought that fan base will buy two or three tickets. They'll probably, a lot of them will probably go twice, maybe three times, will sell out the 6,000 tickets. Sure enough, we sell the 6,000 tickets, Total success, Libertines are back. At that point, the fan base was getting a wee bit bigger because it was a lot of stuff. You could read it online on this, this forum, it, it, thousands of people following it. But And I put three Brixton Academies on sale, which was 5,000 people a night. So I had 15,000 tickets. And I thought, that mad fan base will probably go twice. So we're going we're gonna to look huge. Yeah. And good enough, on the Friday of the gig, it was a Friday, Saturday, Sunday, We'd sold all 15,000 tickets. And from that, I took a new record to radio because we looked massive. I went on straight on Radio 1 and Jonathan Ross show. We got big. Yeah. Wow. I think I'm one of like 3,000 people on from the, the age of probably 17 that's been buying NME in, in uh, the States. Right. I've literally had like, I had a uh, subscription. I've been reading NME my entire life. So those are the bands actually that really inspired me and the stuff that I was into. But I was going to say, it's funny, you know, when when you're dealing with a band like the Gallagher Brothers and Oasis and they're fighting in their, at each other's throats, but they're selling a quarter of a million records a week, it's fine. Obviously, you, you deal with it, you make it work. With the band like the Libertines, I know they had massive success in the UK, but was it worth it in the end or did you get out because it was just too much? No, the band, Doherty left and went to, to form Baby Shambles. I don't think he ever really got over Car Carol reporting to the cops, you know, for like, Burglary's house. I don't think that ever really got settled, and then and then it ended up because he was so off his nut. We said, "Look, let's do this tour. We'll have a stand, and, and then the end of the tour will come." Blah blah blah. And I think he just got pissed. I don't think we did the right thing, to be honest. I thought he was going to die because I was trying to put him in rehab. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, he. I mean, I don't know if Peter's well now. I, I, I haven't seen him for years, but I think that was uh, at that time. I, I thought he was going to die, Scott. You know. That's crazy. I mean, why do you think some of the bands sort of translate to the U.S. and some of them don't? I mean, why, there's some, certain bands there that you mentioned that were yeah. so massive in the U.K. Yeah. And sometimes, I mean, was it a big thing for you to really want to break a lot of those artists in America? Or for you, if they were huge in London and you had like number one albums or it didn't matter as much? Totally different culture, the American culture. It's like, you know, you, you have to have it together. Do you know what I mean? You know, to... To, to puncture America, do you know what I mean? Oasis nearly had it together with America. They, they were doing, they were selling out Jones Beach and uh, they were selling out big 20,000. Yeah. What do you call them? The sheds. You, yeah. They were selling the sheds. The amphitheaters. The amphitheaters. But 
at the end of the day, Liam went, Liam walked off the tour two or three times and in America around that time, end of the nineties, you couldn't behave like that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean it was the Guns N' Roses uh story replaying, like nobody wanted like Coliseums <laughs> destroyed, nobody wanted to, to deal with the penalties of bands that were three hours late or whatnot. But do yeah. you think that could ever happen again, Alan? I mean a hundred million records, rock and roll. I mean I'm always holding the flag because that's where I come from. That's obviously my bond with Courtney. But could that happen again, the way music and culture is these days? Do you think rock will ever make a comeback in that kind of way? I mean, Oasis, uh, no doubtably, was the biggest man, no question, in Europe for many years, playing stadiums yeah. there. But do you think that kind of thing could be replicated again? I don't know. I mean, I mean it's, it's strange, isn't it? I mean, rock, rock and roll music now, or indie music, whatever you want to call it, it's so to the side of the culture. I mean, I mean the rock and roll culture now is Kanye and stuff like that, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? I mean, he's standing to be president. I mean, it's so brilliant. It's you know, what I mean, <laughs> I mean, I suppose the only scary bit is he might get in, but yeah. can he do any worse than Donald? I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, that's the rock and roll stars you've got now. Yeah, yeah, no, no, no question. Is a, a real weird one because it's like, you know, she's still got that. Just because she's so smart, she's still cool. You know what I mean? She's one of the smartest people I've ever met in my entire life. And the references and the details she remembers. I mean, like you said, she's like, I know the record store. I'll be down there in a moment. That was like, <laughs> I mean, she knows every reference of every designer, every band, everything. I've, it's, it's incredible. She blows my mind almost every day. And when I brought you up, she was like such a, a huge fan. I had nothing but amazing things to say. But, but walk me through. I, I'm kind of digressing, too. I mean, the, you know, the label obviously exists. You have so much success for many years and so integral to a part of what happened in the 90s there. And walk me up to sort of like about, you know, at some point, I know that you had to sell half of the label to Sony. I mean, walk me sort of through the, the economics of it, Alan. Like, why did yeah. you have to do that? Obviously, the, the label was, was massive. So did you find that you had that entrepreneurial spirit, but not the business acumen yeah. to really to, to handle what was going on? I don't think I had the mental strength to handle it, really. Because if you think about it, I'm a fanzine kid, Scott, right? That, that, that was doing fanzines, and it got absolutely massive. But I started it in 1983, when I was 22, with a £1,000 bank loan off mm. the National Bank, right? Amazing. And, and then I, I rolled it up. And then I was having a lot of success by 92. I was having big hits. Um, like not number ones, but number twos, and do you know what I mean? It was big, and um, um, I, you know, a Sony came to me. They knew I was going bankrupt, and they offered me two and a half million for forty nine percent. So I took the cash, uh, and they bankrolled the, the finances of it. But it was still not right because I was not a great. I mean, I'm not that bad at business. I'm, I mean, I've come come to nothing, and I've ended up pretty wealthy, but. But I wasn't a businessy guy, and uh, you know, it, it moved to we were, we were kind of crashing. And then I walked into the Gallagher's, and it, it literally the company was going like that. Scott signed the Gallagher's, and it just went, it went nuts. Do you know what I mean? And with all these like massive records, it's it's crazy to think you still had money problems because at yeah. that point you were probably selling millions of records, right? We were selling. We were selling. But it's crazy what we were selling. Do you know what I mean? You know, it was crazy. But um, it wasn't so much. It, it, like, I ended up, we didn't go bankrupt. I ended up, I mean, in the 90s, they, Sony could have bought my shares off me in 96. It was a four-year deal. 
And in the last year, there was a formula based on it that they could buy me, I could buy them, right? But mm -hmm. they had to go to buy. And uh, they paid me, I think, 14 and a half million to stay. Do you know what I mean? And that in the 90s, dude, I'm a company from an indie label. It's like, yeah. it's huge. Man. It's like a hundred million dollars. Yeah, yeah. So I stayed, Scott, right? And then it got to the, the end of the 90s and, uh, you know, it was just messy. You know, Sony were like, when we were like, we were like leaving uh, and we were still investigating them about lost royalties. And it was, it was just messy, you know what I mean? And uh, it was like, we didn't, we didn't go bankrupt. I just eventually got fed up. I, I think what it really has Scott, is that I don't think I was mental, mentally there to take on we went from zero to forty million pounds worth of turnover every yeah. year into the wow. which is a lot. I don't know what's crazy. Eighty million dollars a year at that point, right? Yeah. And and I wasn't I was I was a guy for a council state in Glasgow with no education really. And nobody in my family were business. And all I had really was this amazing thing that I could find bands and blow them up. But I'd never had a brilliant business person with me. So I was kind of doing it myself. Yeah, and I, yeah. Ultimately, I think I wore myself out. And I'd made, by that point, Scott, I'd binned a lot of cash. Do you know what I mean? Because I had Oasis Publishing as well. Oh, so, right. so I was like, I was, I was, there was millions coming at me. And I think I just thought, fuck it. I'm sorry for swearing. I think I'll just, I'll just retreat, you know? And I did. Were, you just, were you just blowing cash left and right? Were you just using it excessively? Were you, you flying around places in I private know, jets? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I was on the private jets and all that, but but I was just, I'd got fed up with it more than anything else. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I think yeah. if it had just been, if I had a brilliant, brilliant business person with me, they'd have said, stop talking your nonsense. Let's just get the cash. <laughs> right. I didn't have that with me. I was just, yeah. it was me. I was, yeah. I was the business. I was the music. So eventually I just went, I can't deal with this. And, and do you think, Alan, that a lot of the reason for the success of labels because you gave artists like, Oasis and Primal Scream, like the creative control, or did you have a hand in what was happening creatively with the artist then? Most of the time I didn't, but I mean, I made key decisions at different points that helped them, do you know what I mean? You know, sometimes, like, you know, like Primal Scream were lost with the Give Out But Don't Give Up records. We recorded, re-recorded it with George Achilles. Oasis had recorded the album with the Motley Hoople producer, Dave Batchelor, and knocked it back and made them redo it with a live engineer, and that's how we got Definitely Baby. But mainly, definitely with Oasis, that just happened, dude. I just happened to be in the driving seat of the car going forward, do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Uh, they, were the, they were the petrol, they were making it go. And uh, we could probably scream, yeah. I mean, I turned Bobby on to, I, I took him to some raves. I took, turned him on to the Acid House thing. Oh, you turned him on to that whole scene. So what, what are your like fondest memories out of that time period for you? Is it Primal Scream? Is it Oasis? Like when you think about that whole time period, it was such a massive movement. I think Oasis, to be honest, was just the game. I mean, there was one Christmas that I remember I was seeing the therapist, right? And, and, and he was going, why are you upset? And I went, this will give you an idea how mad I can be, right? And I went, I never asked for this level of success. And what do you mean? We're number one in 32 countries at <laughs> Christmas for Morning Glory. I never asked for this. And they were laughing at me. There was a psychotherapist and a 
psychiatrist and this couch and they've been giving me giving me all this therapy over the year and this was at kind of that Christmas and I was like nearly crying going I didn't ask for it <laughs> careful what you wish for yeah you two want... countries wow so that so that's still a fond memory for you I, I have to ask you about a kind of a quick fire round of questions but I mean my you know Everyone, obviously, the, the question you probably get asked more than any other question in the whole world, is the band ever going to get back together? What do you think? I, I don't think so. I think they're too happy. I mean, it's a bit like with me when I split and I'd made enough money not to bother having to go and do it. And no, no, no one's written all these big songs. He's just, he doesn't need to do it. And Liam's now selling out really big gigs to playing 40, 50,000 people on eight shows in Britain. They're both okay for the cash. I think if one of them was hot for the cash, maybe maybe it would, but neither one is, you know. Do you think they're better together or separate? Together. Together, uh, yeah, no question. Fine, but I mean, Oasis is so much better than either yeah. one of them. Are you a fan of the solo acts? Yeah, I mean, I think they've both got good things going on, you know. Yeah, yeah, no question. So walk me through kind of like where you're at today. I know obviously before this whole crazy pandemic struck us, you were about to do a bunch of Q&A, like a whole tour of Q&A. And, yeah. and you have the label now, and you're putting out some great music, you're DJing. You were DJing before all this happened. Um, so walk me through like some of the bands that you like now. I'd love to know like your picks to click. And, and I've, I've read about some of the ones that you really love and some of the same ones that I love, uh, you know. So tell me oh. who you think could really, if, if it, some of the bands actually, I would love to know who you think could actually break in America too. Yeah. Well, I've got, I've got the seven inch label, although, all the, all the press implants, Scott, have went first. So now we're just putting them out digitally at the moment. But I've got the Clockwork, Shambolics, Cat SFX, um, Rubber Jaw, The Keys, all these great little bands. And the, the majors in England aren't really signing. So I'm putting the records out. And then at the management, um, I've got Happy Mondays, Cast, Las Vegas, um, Black Grape. And I'm about to start with a view. Amazing. So, so I'm just doing, I'm, it's low key now compared to the 90s, dude, I'm like at half speed. But yeah, I'm yeah. having a good time, you know. And it's really, really low key. It's, it's like the management's me plus a girl that does the, the promo aspect of it. And Jamie, it does the live thing, make sure we, we tour profitably. I do the business. So that's the, that's the management. And then the record company is just literally me and my iPhone. And I hire in the, the, the press, uh, the streaming person and uh, the radio person so i just control it yeah so who are you really excited about label wise i mean i was checking out your spotify playlist the other day and it's great you have this great playlist with everything from bowie to slade to uh, yeah. all the new bands that you put on there that you work with so i love clockworks from ireland they're brilliant yeah. absolutely brilliant shambolics from scotland fantastic this girl who actually loves courtney quite a lot uh cat sfx she's yeah. really and then some other bands that, you know, the Keys that I've put out records in the past, I think it'll definitely happen. And Rubber Jaw. So it's, it's, it's kind of a good time. And a band for LA that I'm, I'm going to put another record out for them, Jugs. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. Do you know, do you know Willem? No, I actually don't, but I'll check them out. Right, and they're great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great band. Awesome. Well, which was sort of more fun for you when you look back stuff, the debauchery of uh, the 90s or now? Because now you're pretty healthy, right? Oh yeah, beyond yeah. <laughs> so, which was which is a more healthy time period in your in your mind? Do you like look back on that? You're like, hey, I, I miss that time period. I, yeah, I mean, I don't. I mean, the drugs thing for me. I mean, I was never really into heroin, but it was like uh, I was into everything else, you know, in a big way. 
But I, I mean, I've done heroin a few times, but it was never really my thing. It was more coke, do you know what I mean? And more ecstasy. Do you know what I mean? That's and speed as well, actually, you know. But um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I just, I mean, I mean, you end up, you start with these drugs and then you end up with, you know, like, sleeping pills and diet pills. Do you know what I mean? Right, right, yeah, sure. <laughs> you just end up being an addict. I just had to completely stop, do you know what I mean, you know? You, you start with Molly and you end with Lipitor or something, right? So for like cholesterol, that's what we talk about now. <laughs> I mean, I used to love coming to America and getting the diet pills because yeah. you take your four of them and you'd be speeding through a meeting. You'd yeah. be like, you'd love it, you know? <laughs> How important uh, is America as part of the story for you now, Alan, like for breaking bands? Then? I'm realistic about it. It's like, I think it'd be wonderful to be you know, for to, to connect with America, but I'm not expecting it. It's just if it happens, fantastic, you know? Yeah. Uh, when I was, like, in my late... Because when I came over, when I was managing Mary Chain, and, and we're from Scotland, America's the dream when you're a young man, do you know what I mean? And we were, like, showing up, and I was 23, and they were, like, 22, 23, and we were, like, playing to, like, 4,000 people a night in the, both the coasts, and we were, like... We were young, man. We were 23, 24. Yeah, know? yeah. That's, it's great. I heard a great story, by the way, about the Foo Fighters, which I'd love you to tell before we go, because it's one of my favorite stories you tell. And, and I, yeah, just if you can tell that story about how you met them and, you know, what transpired, too. Yeah, I mean, I can't really tell that. I've been asked not to tell it, but they're managed. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's out there. I heard it, so it was great, but... <laughs> uh, I'd just be winding them up if I told you, mate. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is a great story, so we can refer back to that one. But, but listen, you're doing so much great stuff. I mean, what do you think the future holds for you for next year? I mean, I, I know that we were just talking about it, but when we kind of got on about the future shows and whatnot, are you just going to keep signing bands and putting out records digitally without – are you going to do live streams more? I mean, where do you think this is all going? I'm going to put out records digitally once a month, twice a month. But – um. I think we're a long way for the show. And yeah. I mean, what's happening in America? I mean, I feel for you guys, it's, you know, because it's just like, you know, we, we managed, I, I, Boris, our government are, are cretins, but unbelievably, maybe it's the British people, I suspect it is. Yeah. We've, just, we've managed to somehow contain we, it. Yeah, we've kept it down. Yeah. But America's just went, I think you might be right, because the states, as in each state, is its own government. Because there's no consistency and that's... No, yeah, there's no yeah. uniformity and everyone's just doing their own thing. And, and, you know, why was New York the hotspot for the last three months? Now California is. I mean, you literally have people out there coming in and out of the States and bringing it to everywhere. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I assume that whatever you guys are doing in the rest of Europe, you're doing a way better job because it's out of control here. And, and unfortunately, yeah. it's crazy. I mean, when I go out in the streets and I'm riding my bike or whatnot, I, I, there's still probably 60% of the people that aren't wearing masks. Yeah, you know, yeah, like yeah. that's all you have to do to keep it under control could you please yeah. just do that because if we yeah. go back into phase one lockdown where nothing's open i mean i don't think anyone's gonna and the economy will just be completely decimated so if it's not yeah. already i'm amazed i'm amazed you've not actually went into full lockdown yeah i think i think california unfortunately i feel like we'll probably go back into that but are there any gigs that are even happening like low-key in london nothing yeah. No, yeah. you know i mean they're trying they're trying to put little shows on like these q a's and stuff like that i don't think that'll be happening do you know what i mean yeah. i don't think anything's going to be going on scott you know i think it's what you said it's a good take i think it's i think next year we're going to miss most of the next year as well yeah no question 
months now. August, Saturday's August, and yeah, so not anywhere near it. You know what I mean? How, how did the band survive? If they're like a, a you know a baby band that you signed to your label, I man, how are they surviving now? Are they just the little little bands are okay because they they can all just go and get bar jobs and right or find jobs if they can, but but uh, they're not doing okay. I'd say it's probably more bands that you know you know big bands, but you know they're off touring and they expected this summer. And if they don't get next summer, God, it's, people are going to really be hurting, man. You know, yeah. when I say big bands, I mean famous bands, maybe not cash massive. Rent. Yeah. Are they doing the? Are they are they toying with the idea of like drive-in shows there? Because they've done a few here, like we mentioned. But they got cancelled, Scott. Most of them because they weren't really selling. The big yeah. bands weren't really selling tickets, you know. And also the economics don't really make sense, right? Because you're selling a ticket. What can you sell a concert yeah. experience for in your car? I mean, it's not going to be a great concert experience. No, no, no. Yeah, it's terrible. Well, listen, everyone, this is such a pleasure, man. I mean, I'm such a geek for music. I, yeah. I, I love every, such a fan. I love everything you've done. As I said, it's been an honor and pleasure. Everyone follow Alan on all social media channels, Creation Records, and which album should we buy, download, support you with right now? Oh, just, you know, just like, feed your kids, mate. Don't worry about me. I'm all right. <laughs> well, for those of us that are music fans, Alan, we want to support the cause and, and our local <laughs> rock and roll. You know, Go and find the Creation 23 vinyls, you know, if, if you guys collect vinyl, because, we're, you know, a lot of the bands, there's still stuff available, you know. Awesome. And your, right. favorite, your favorite band right now that we should listen to? Um, well, I was listening, I mean, I, this is, you won't believe me, but I was listening to Nine Inch Nails this morning. Close By the up. way, my favorite show of all time, the, I had this band on The Naked and the Famous last show, and we were talking about that's my favorite live experience I've ever gone to. So, yeah. incredible. Yeah, no, brilliant track. I was listening to that earlier on, you know. I couldn't agree with you more. What an absolute pleasure, mate. So, I hope I get to meet you in person one day, Alan. Yeah, when, when I'm out there, I'll, I'll, I'll get your number. Well, I've got your number, so I'll just keep in contact. Please, please, please. Right, right, I'll, I'll tell Courtney we, uh, we had a great chat. Pleasure yeah. having you on the show. Follow Alan McGee, Creation Records, and we'll talk soon, hopefully live in person. Hey man, thanks. Thanks, mate. I'll see you soon. You're listening to Lips LA with Scott Lips. So there you have it, folks. What a great conversation. What a great guy, Alan McGee. That was super exciting for me. Just uh, my uh, 25-year-old self was pinching myself. Alan, as I mentioned, was highly responsible for what happened in London and the British rock movement for many years in the 90s. Oasis being one of the biggest bands in the world for many years, and he was definitely responsible for a lot of that happening. So, so exciting. Uh, like I said, guys, if you like the show, make sure you rate, review the show. Happy to have you on the show and happy to have you here with me spending some time. Stay safe. Be safe. Hope you're all well and speak to you soon, guys. Take care. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh, yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.